whether we should resist the self-motivated advent of communications technologies, or it will ecologically blend with our newest and best focus as a species, or it will simply collapse as we awaken to a more spiritual existence. We are assessing trends within the context of a nearly ubiquitous sea of related objects. Before militant empires sputtered out these blinking trinkets for our workplaces, homes, and eventually pockets, a group of forward thinkers from the east coast of Turtle Island decided to get a long view of the empire's context and form a commune. One day in the 1970s, their realtor finally located the property that would justify their pooled privilege. It is in the Ozarks. It is the month of September in the year 2021. It is a wonderful day, because I like people. And today I get to talk with a person who started a community for people. Now I've heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do you? Check. Here we are at Eastwind Community with one of the people who founded it. The first question is, where do your name and sense of identity come from? Uh-huh. Well, my name is Deborah and comes straight from the Bible. <laughs> my grandparents were very religious and my parents, not so much so, but they agreed to name me a name from the Bible, so my dad picked that one out. Does it mean anything to you? Uh, not really. I've always liked it. It's it, it's unusual enough that uh, just not everybody in their everybody their dog isn't named that. But it's also traveling to other countries where it's a really old name and lots of people have it, like in Russia or in Israel. It's, it's sort of interesting historic name. But I'm told never to call you Debbie or Deb. You were told that? <laughs> Weird. Uh, yeah, it's never been my preference. Being a diminutive woman is dim- is enough already. Without People tend to do that. They tend to take, especially women, especially small women, and make their names little and cute and... Since I've been fighting that one all my life, that's not it's not helpful to call myself that. <laughs> is there anything else you'd like to say about um, how you identify? I guess is a contemporary language about it. Yeah, a lot of contemporary language doesn't make sense to me because I can't figure out what it means. <laughs> uh, how? Because identify? Huh. Uh, I'm not sure how to answer that. Like, do you have preferred pronouns, uh, oh gender, gosh, like that no, kind of thing? I don't. Um, 
No, I've been struggling to with women's rights and feminist rights so much of my life that it's rather impossible for me personally to imagine not wanting to be. Um, in fact, I'm not all that thrilled about being called they. <laughs> and I wish all the people who want to be called they would call themselves they and not everybody else they. But then I also spent my life being referred to in as he in general conversation because we only had the one pronoun. So I've read enough books and been in enough conversations that I'm absolutely delighted that we're finally coming up with a non-gendered pronoun. The one that I hear around uh, Twin Oaks and East Wind is co. Yeah, but no, you. I doubt that you've heard that used as a pronoun. Certainly not here. Uh, we tried really hard to make that a program, a pronoun way back. I guess in the seventies, Kat Kincaid and I both tried that. Uh, people weren't buying it, and and worse than that, it's now being used strictly as a noun. And oh no! Call uh, you know somebody will write a note. You'll see it every day. Uh, will you know? Will the co who did this? I'm like, God damn it! <laughs> I'm, we're trying to make a singular, general neutral. A pronoun and you guys turned it into a noun and and so that failed miserably and now we've gone to they which is if you happen to be into English is not nearly as tidy um, as co but we never could make that stick dang yeah I guess English is flexible but it doesn't mean it's malleable I don't know Anyway, is there anything else you want to say about yourself before we ask other questions? Uh, Identity-wise, I mean, I don't know. I'm an old hippie (laughs) uh, who's been living in a community, gee, half of my adult life. So I can't, there's not any way I would define my, identify myself by my job since I don't have one. (laughs) And being also not a mother and not a wife. Uh, those being all the standard way one identifies oneself in this culture, so I have a problem with that, because I am not married and not and, and and don't have children, and don't have a profession, so it makes it a little bit harder. Are you comfortable being identified as a founder of Eastwind? Yeah, I am. <laughs> um, what do you what do you think about that now today? Well, when we founded it in the seventies. One of the big dreams, of course, was that, you know, it was going to become a big fat movement and that hundreds of people were going to fly to hippie communes. And, of course, that didn't happen. So I think it's fine for what it is and how long it's lasted and how well it's done. Uh, My biggest regret is that it's not hundreds of people instead of dozens. Wow. Well, you've accomplished a lot. Let's go on to question two, which is... What does being human mean to you? Well, that's a very good question, and that's a question I've thought about most of my life. Uh, I've done a whole lot of traveling, and one of the things that's motivated my traveling was having other people tell me what human nature is and how humans are, and almost always they mean how they are. (laughs) Uh. And, And 
and make assumptions about everybody else based upon themselves. And I, I wasn't buying it. So I did a lot of traveling and a lot of studying. And at this point, I'm rather certain that there's just very little in the way of human nature. If by that you mean something that all humans are, I think most of what we say about that is, is in fact cultural stuff, stories we tell ourselves about how people are, when in fact most people don't know how people are because they've seen so few of them, comparatively speaking. So I'm not quite sure what I think I mean by that. Certainly we're different than our closest relatives in the mammalian kingdom, but... um, it, but but I just, I'm not sure I can answer that question either, because I don't agree with what most people tell me that humans are. <laughs> well, I can agree with that. Question three, I've tried to formulate in a few different ways, and it's just supposed to be kind of an expansive question, but this is the way I have it right now. <clears throat> it's, uh, have you ever had an experience that changed your perception of reality, or what evokes wonder in you? Um, about this life, so I'm not sure if you want to help me formulate that question better, or... Oh, yeah, that one's actually a couple of different questions combined, it seems like to me. Well, like I said, uh, I've done a lot of traveling, and so that's really, that would help, that helps me answer that question, because I've seen a lot of wonders on this planet. Um, I did a lot of sailing, and I think being hundreds of miles offshore in the middle of the ocean for days on end may change my perception of the planet itself. It's a water planet. We really ought to all sail more. It's a fine way to get around. We wouldn't have screwed the place up so bad if we kept the boats. That's amazing, because I've heard, actually, that we're all related in some way to the Polynesian and Micronesian and similar islander cultures, and they, they're the ones that spread... Uh, pyramids and all sorts of things. And I'm not sure if that's true, but um, I've heard anyway that that we've lost a lot of amazing, uh, let's say, so-called primitive technology after we stopped sailing and we became settlers and stuff. Yeah, uh, I think I, I think that humans have been nomadic for most of their existence and that the change from being nomads to being sedentary is, you know, probably the beginning of most of our problems. Uh, I think people were better off when they roamed about the earth um, and ranged as far as they comfortably could and interacted with people that they ran into. And I think settling down in agriculture and cities and hence finally, you know, industrial technology has not been the best thing for us or the planet. Yeah, that's... I I think about that a lot. Living on the coast is also... Well, most people probably do live on coasts or near them, and it's just such a... It's such a different sort of existence, and it's a different way to relate to nature than if you living in a forest or in a desert or certainly in a city. So when you li- when you say you lived half your life in community, um, 
would you include the sailing part in that? Was that like a sailing community or? Oh, I left here. I left Eastwind. I was here the first two and a half or three years. And then uh, the pioneering phase was all fun when I was that young and building the first buildings, buying the land, making the money, setting up the bylaws. All of that was really interesting and exciting. Uh, And then I was still in my early 20s and was not ready to settle down and raise babies and vegetables and (laughs) things. So I left. And one of the things I did was go sailing for a few years. And I really liked it. It's a great way to live. All right, that actually strangely leads right into our next question, which is, what is the best way to honor life, or what is the best way we can honor life? Yeah, I think the best way we could honor life is to quit destroying it the way we do. Thank you. I don't know if you've ever heard the term totalitarian agriculture, but it, it... it's essentially the idea that you know if it if it's not our food or it's not food for our food that we should just kill it off <laughs> and um, or if it's if it contributes to our comfort and our convenience and whatever whatever we're, it's you know it's it's fine for us to destroy everything else and of course that's not working all that well for us even um yeah i think we need to quit with uh our comfort and convenience is the most important thing on the planet and you know quit killing off creatures that really have just as much right to live here as we do so you know lighter on the planet would be good but changing how we live in nature Instead of trying to make it conform to us, go back a bit more towards conforming to it. Um, Well, it's just abhorrently awful what we've done. And the fact that now that we know we're doing it is not stopping us. Mm, That's the most disturbing. I've I've really admired Eastwind all these years since I came here in 2012 for... um, well, it's basically being more environmentally conscious and conscientious. Um, do you think Eastwind has succeeded at being more environmentally conscientious? Well, I'd love to say yes to that question, but I don't think we really changed that much over the years. In some ways, it's become harder to do than it was in the beginning. Why is that? more of the stuff we buy comes in plastic, 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 plastic. And and we're and the more money we make, the more stuff we buy. And the more well and the more people come from the outside without the consciousness um, the harder it is to keep keep it in mind here, and so I'm always wishing we would could that we would do better. Uh, are we doing better than most people 
out in you know average U.S. I'd say so. so. Yeah, pro- I would say so. Also, could we do better than we are doing? Yeah, we could. We always could. The next question is, what does community mean to you? Well, that's an interesting question for me to answer, since uh, I've lived in several and started a couple and uh, and and visited several around the world too. Um, I think communities anytime you have a group of people who are living and working together pretty much with each other's interests in mind uh, is the broadest definition I can give Um, often here we'll talk about community as though the only communities in the world are income sharing communities when of course that isn't true um, there's community all over the place. Um, it, I think it has to do with some sort of mutual interest um, so that I've seen wonderful community in you know small villages in the middle of Africa where people are poorer than dirt and have a wonderful sense of community. And then I've seen people living in what they call communities that I didn't think had such a good sense of community and so that sense of community is kind of like, well, what you you know, what what you decide it is or what you think it is. Uh, I was starting a housing co-op in Berkeley, and uh, all in the, the twenty individual units, mostly single. And people said, well, you, you can't you can't form a community out of a bunch of separate apartments, and. That was only partly true, <laughs> because we could take one of them and make it a common space. We could sit around and have movie night. We could do shopping uh, to get. We could go shopping together. We could do buyers clubs. We could say, "Oh, let's one of us cook dinner once a week, and the rest of us could just come and eat." And so, what is community? Well, that depends on what you want it to be or how much community. Uh, we were not income sharing. We all had our separate lives. We were mostly all single. But but it didn't take long to have a pretty good sense of community. So, uh, yeah, that's a tough one. Maybe somebody who hasn't lived in so many and hasn't started some and seen so many might have a simpler answer. But to me, that's a really complicated question. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Um, just two more from the official seven questions to save humanity. Um, what projects or collaborations are you presently most excited about? Well, I'm not doing a whole lot of such things these days at my age. How about others around you? Oh, gee, almost everybody living here is pretty much focused on here. But one of my dreams in life uh, has always been to start a community someplace else in the world. And I've been recently looking at places where that might be feasible economically and politically. I mean, obviously, not till COVID goes away or whatever. But um, the idea of going someplace where people are trying to create community in cultures where it's not even as common as it is here. Well, for one thing... It's exorbitantly expensive to start new communities in the U.S. Yeah. for obvious reasons, just 
so exponentially more than it was, say, when we started this one. So, but going someplace that's still smaller and still cheaper and still not as industrialized uh, and getting together with Native folks there, trying to help or somehow encourage them to start communities even inside their communities, which is to say worker-owned collectives and things like that. Uh, I left here when I was, what, 23, 25, something, and went uh, out and about in the world and did do things like organize worker-owned collectives and housing co-ops and community gardens and things because from my original experience here, what I found out is, wow, we really can do it. We really don't need managers. You really don't need a lot of capital. And um, so the idea that you can do it yourself um, was a really strong one for me because you, you, if you can afford to rent, you can afford to buy. And if you can work in a business... If you're really good at working in a business, you're probably just as good as managing it. And so uh, that sort of mentality, I think, is one of the things that East Wind has done most is people have come through and looked around and went, wow, we're managing our own business. We're you know, building our own buildings and working on our own cars and so on and so on. And so uh, if, if I managed to pull off one more thing, uh, it, w- it would be to take it on the road and go someplace else uh, and, um, and try to spread the idea in a different culture altogether. Thank you for that. My partner and I are looking at trying to start one in um, northern Arizona because it's beautiful and it seems like it could be a, a sort of a art colony of some kind. Yeah, that sounds like you better have some bucks. <laughs> uh, ha- coming up, buying land and or coming up with some sort of money crank has gotten harder and harder and harder over the years, as you probably know. Yes. We started this place with twenty thousand oh dollars in forty-seven. Uh-huh. What? Wow! For some reason, in my mind, I had translated it into two hundred thousand. Uh, we started Acorn with a quarter million at 25, 27 years ago. This one being 47, we just didn't have any money to spit at. We put a pittance amount of money down on land that was ridiculously cheap. And pristine. Yeah, pretty much. Well, it did have a house and sort of a sort of well and kind of a road and but whatever but yeah and so like that and so and and we and we were able to borrow money to start the nut butter business and we started the hammocks business with nearly no capital small thousands of dollars built a 20 room dorm for 10 grand we, we can't even build up i can't build anything for that anymore <laughs> let's move on then um, the last question is, how can we all realize more human happiness together? Well, I... Gee, yeah, that's right up there with world peace, isn't it? Huh? <laughs> well, uh, maybe maybe um, if we take a, take a step towards it rather than realize it well, fully. Well, being more... 
I think one of the biggest things would be if people just all quit assuming that everybody else was just like they are. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Good advice. Because meaning, of course, being more tolerant, being more open-minded, and so on. Uh, there's way too many people making assumptions of differences far quicker than they see um, the similarities. Uh, you know, I grew up with the whole Cold War and the Russians are bad guys and me, 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 me. <laughs> My mom is Russian. <laughs> yeah, and then I go to Russia and what do I find out? Man, they are exactly the same <laughs> as we were at the time or still or whatever. I'm like, wow, look at this. I do. Damn. <laughs> and, uh, and then this, you know, and the same thing with everybody. I mean, I wish more uh, U.S. citizens would get themselves to other countries because we're fed too much propaganda and we are one of the worst, most arrogant at assuming that everybody's the way we are, except those who we claim are different even when they're not. <laughs> So, uh, education and tolerance and open-mindedness and more travel, I think, uh, would be the cleverest way because I think most of the disharmonies are due pretty much predominantly to ignorance. Thank you. I think we should quit doing that, meet more people before we vilify them. That's, that's amazing. Thank you for that. Um, the last little segment of questions I have is something where the previous guest asks a random question to the next guest and they don't know it, who it is. And then you are invited to ask a question of the next guest. And the last question was, is there a place that, that, that you like to take, to, that take people to because it makes you happy um, that you'd like to share with others, basically? Well, gosh, I've been to so many places. Um, I guess the simple answer to that is I'd like to take everybody I live with out canoeing on a river for a week or two. Um, I think taking people out on nature adventures or traveling with them uh, it makes me happy and I always hope it will make them happy. <coughs> I'm looking for somebody to go traveling with next spring and because uh, I love to I like to go places with people who not been there somehow them getting excited or awed or inspired um, makes me feel really good so well thank you taking people to new places is <laughs> one of my faves and uh, what would you like to ask the next person I guess it would be what they think they are doing or wish they were doing to promote community wherever, whatever situation they're in. Cool. Great question. Let me write it up real quick. Okay. Um, that leads us to the last segment, which is... Um, a review or discussion of music of some kind. Is there any kind of particular song that you would like us to 
play in the episode and talk about? Oh, gee, I listen to so much music that that's a hard question, too. Uh, and probably other people have said this, but if I was going to broadcast to somebody, it's probably what I would say is that all my friends would tell you my favorite song is probably Hotel California. But, oh. and, and I have a lot of history with that song, but that's not my answer. Okay. My answer is um, that... I've been listening to Leonard Cohen since Leonard Cohen started writing songs. We had we had Leonard Cohen. A child. <laughs> we had another guest play a Leonard Cohen song. Um, you want it darker? Oh, well, there's a lot of Leonard Cohen I like, but the fact that you know he wrote a song that was the top song in the world for years running, and has been more recorded and more played than any other song on the planet, uh, I'd have to go with I'm a fan of Hallelujah. Uh, I've heard it now in s- several languages and orchestras and acapella and uh, it he has touched my heart since I was a young woman and he was a young man and uh, I have continued to like him all through his life all through my life all of his and I like his new music better than his old music which I can't say of many people <laughs> And then he went and wrote that song, and most of the planet went crazy over it. I've heard from a Canadian friend of mine who likes to talk about funny, weird, cynical things that apparently that song was written about like um, like a, a man with a fetish, and it was a, and it's actually a very sexualized song, but it's like hidden meaning. It, do you, do you how do you feel about that interpretation, or or even if he. If Leonard Cohen said, yeah, I'm writing it about this weird kind of like kinky situation. I, 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 I won't go for it. And the reason why is because Leonard Cohen has been writing about God and love and death and sorrow and joy all of his life. And he always intertwines all of those things and he always has. And so for anybody to tell, try to tell me what Leonard Cohen meant <laughs> by any song he ever wrote, I, I, I of course, am not going to listen because one of the things that I believe has made him internationally appealing is that the combination of lyrics and music and feeling is, uh, lends itself to touching people and comforting people in a way that really doesn't have anything to do with the words or what they mean. He's not really writing ballads. Right. <laughs> it's poetry, so it's open to interpretation. Exactly. And, and yeah, I've heard people tell me stuff like that, too, and I'm like, Did, like maybe you should try listening to the song and see what you think, because I don't want it. I'm really not interested in you telling me what Leonard Cohen felt and furthermore I'm not even really interested in Leonard Cohen telling me what Leonard Cohen thought because I don't really care I really only care about what I think (laughs) your faith was strong but you needed proof you saw her bathing on the roof her beauty and the moonlight overthrew you she tied She broke your throne and she cut your hair And from your lips she drew the 
pleasure and an honor to speak with you today um thank you so very much i hope you had an all right time yeah uh, it's fine it's a little early in the morning <laughs> i need <laughs> it comes to me i should have had a cup of coffee first but okay. uh but no it's fine and yeah i mean i like it that people are out doing things like you're doing thank you so much anything that's non-commercial radio is always a pleasure well, this is totally ad-free, and I give it away for free, so it's a gift... Cu- um, what do they call that? Gift culture or something like that? Yeah, uh, that's what I'm saying. I, I, if more people talk to more people, we might have a better idea of who and what people are. 